1: one. Welcome, everybody. Here we are at the humble Gamekeeper,
0: Christmas time. Uh, podcast studio. Is that Caledonia? That would be correct. That is Caledonia. Yeah, that's nice. Richie's uh, school. There, he's nice. the
1: voice of the Caledonia of the
0: Cavaliers.
1: Yeah, that's uh, Give us Cal- the
0: first and ten.
3: First and ten, Caledonia. There it is, right?
0: All there, right, man, <laughs> man. They
1: get their money's worth. Out of
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's why. I, that's why I'm free.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, so we're right here on the. You know, this is uh, Christmas is
0: approaching. Right. It's a. It's a big time for yeah, us. Yes, big time Christmas season. Ruts going on, deer chasing. It's a good time to be around. It, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, this
1: is one of my favorite times of the year. So, you know, mm-hmm. December 26th and 27th are always my favorite days to be in the woods, especially mm. the 27th. And I, it may just be because that's a, a day that I've always so been So you able don't to have go. to go
2: to your in-law's house and then go to the other cousin's house the next day? No, not too yeah, much. That's there. what I do.
0: See, we play, we play, we do ours before the rut. See, just have one Christmas. So what, yeah. do, what are you going to be doing? You're not going to be hunting? I'll probably
2: be at my in-laws' side on before Christmas and after Christmas. I'll be at my parents'. There you go. So,
0: well, we will hunt. hunt Y'all have fun hunting the the rut. That's right.
2: So we've got Doctor Bronson Strickland sitting
1: over here on the couch, and he just got back from Texas, and he killed a whopper.
0: Hey, we like a whopper.
4: It was a blast. It was the. uh, (laughs) I'm going to miss the peak of the rut. Here. Yeah. Because I've got, I'm kind of like Dudley. I've got, we go home to Georgia and we're going to be there about a week. So I'll be on the tail end of it when we get back. But it was the peak of the rut there. And it was in South Texas. And uh, it was just, I was able to witness something that, that's really, I'm delighted, tickled, satisfied, everything, overwhelmed with gratitude with the buck I got to kill. But I got to witness at, 20, 25 yards, so close that I could get it on my phone, the video of not a buck sparring match, but an absolute knockdown drag out buck fight. Getting with it. Two mature Mm -hmm. bucks locked up. And I think my video was like an hour and uh, an hour, a minute, (laughs) a minute and like 30 seconds, minute and 45 seconds. They are just tangled up and going and going so that was the first time outside of captivity, our deer research pens, that I'd seen that in the wild. Mm. That was really
0: really cool. Excellent. When I tell you what, they're impressive when they get to scrapping. I mean, the the sounds, the noises, the dust flying. I mean, it's a. And the two bucks fighting
4: called in another buck. Oh. So just like what talking. you're thinking is going on with your rattling and yeah. a buck comes, those two were in front of me, locked up, going at it, pushing each other around. And then here comes another buck just running in. Of course, he was a, a middle-aged buck. I was going to ask Probably that. three or four at the most. And he saw the two mature bucks going at it. And he didn't want any part of he that. Left. He skedaddled, yeah. but brought him in. Hmm. So what, what ended up breaking up the fight? Did one of them just give one, up? Or Yeah, one of them just gave up, yielded. And then they go running off with the victor, you know, putting his antlers right in the, in the rear, rear end, end of the mm-hmm. loser and chasing him off. Yeah i'll show you the video afterwards it was
2: so close not only could you hear it you could probably feel it oh yeah yeah probably so to some degree Mm. yeah i've I've heard of folks uh tying antlers to like a rope so when they're in the deer stand not only do you get the noise out there but you you get some some vibrations in the ground
4: yeah Uh, i see what you mean
2: Seems like in theory I, that would work. No, I know it. <laughs> and worked. Bobby's over here laughing, but you know, you when people are doing it on the ground, they're banging
0: antlers on the ground
2: and sticks. And
0: hey, look, Dudley's 100 right. That's the way you do it. I see you over there sneering. I'm, it, I'm just laughing at but Dudley with it, it. It sounds more realistic. There's way. more noises that go on than the rattling of the horns. The little that's. I mean, that's yeah. There's a clash, and then there's a push and tugging match, grunting and grunting and. And there was
4: no. You know, when you listen to the, the rattling experts from years ago, there's this kind of introduction, this little subtle where they tickle the antlers. And a little, they nah, just went nah, right but into go, that. that nah. None of that. It was getting close contact. They both laid their ears back and started going side to side and blowing Potting. their chest up, you know, and neither one of them would back down. And then it was just like two bighorn sheep. They just <laughs> lunged each other, went back and forth. It was amazing.
1: It's mm. amazing that more of
2: them
4: don't lose an eye or something during the season. A lot of them are pretty tore up. And during that same hunt, I saw an old, an ancient buck that was missing an eye that's probably from
0: that, from fighting. We have, you know, caped a lot of deer out. And you, when it's intense, you know, when your buck-dell ratios right, you'd be surprised. They are tore up. I mean, time marks, you know, when you get the skin off them all in the, in the chest, we found a buck dead at, at Toxie's place that had been, you couldn't physically see it, but once we skinned him mm-hmm. out- he was just – looked like a piece of Swiss cheese. Coincidentally, uh, Craig
4: Harper was with me, and the, the buck he shot, when we got him skinned on his hindquarter, he had a hole in his hindquarter that you could easily mm-hmm. stick your, your pinky in, and but we could not really detect a defined hole in the hide. So we don't know if there was enough give in the hide, you know, enough wow, elasticity yeah. where it's still – um, or if that had healed up, it Probably being on it externally up. kind of healed up, but it was clear as day and you could put your finger in it and that th- there was just no other explanation than it being a time. Mm-hmm.
0: They're ferocious. Yeah. Yeah. That when, You see a battle. Yeah. It's, it's a battle royale. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ain't nothing like watching it. Everything oh man. It, it's, it's amazing. It's a, I've
4: been my heart was pumping up. watching that yeah. just like I was, you know, about yeah. to shoot a buck or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So it's tell cool. us the story of this deer you yeah. killed. It was, um, I I guess the story, I I saw it on day one. So again, this is in South Texas. So, and they had a really severe summer, so they don't quote me exactly, but it was like close to 90 days or something. It was like the entire summer. They had consecutive days over a hundred degrees and no rainfall. And even for South Texas, that's, that's extreme. So the thing that was a bit confusing was there really wasn't, when you would see a mature buck, there wasn't that bull of the woods look to them. They were a lot thinner than they mm-hmm. normally. And so it was like all these bucks that were probably six or seven or you know or five, they all kind of looked four and a half. They all had that muscular, sleek look, but not that, Big, right. you know, the swollen neck and the shoulder, where you just see him literally in one second, you go, that's a mature buck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There wasn't any of that. So, like they've
2: been all on, been on keto for the last six months. <laughs> <laughs> there he is, man.
0: That's so, an awesome yeah. buck. Yeah. Golly. Bronson, so, I'm so jealous.
4: there you were. <laughs> there he was. There I was, uh, shaking. I mean, bona fide buck fever. I'm looking at that going, man, that is a whopper. I'd like to harvest him. But I I could not, um, I did not, I was not sure that it was a mature buck. And that was the rule was, you know, all bucks have to be mature. Uh, but I was lucky enough in who I was with. I got a, enough, you know, not a good photo with your phone, but I got enough that the landowner, who was my former advisor, that was another part about it, is my oh. former master's advisor got to go to his place. And, uh, he had enough familiarity with that buck that he, he knew it was a mature buck. So gave me the, the green light to yeah. harvest him. So I'm just like, man, I saw him, you know, out of this stand on the first day, I'm going to go right back and he'll probably be back. No so go. day one, you know, well, this would have been day two, the second hunt didn't see him third hunt. Didn't see him fourth hunt. Didn't see him essentially last hunt. And on getting ready to go on that last hunt, I was just processing, do I go back to where I know he was one time, or I just try to, to go somewhere different? So I'm processing all this stuff about, he's probably been locked up with a doe, uh, he's probably somewhere else on the ranch, but I am just like, I, I know I saw him here, he's probably going to be back, and I'm just going to cross my fingers. And it just got lucky, He he came back to that. In sight of that one stand and was able to get a shot. Nice. Yeah. That's a heck of a deer. Yeah. What does he score? Um, b- believe it or not, he- he's probably gonna go uh right at 150. Well, mm. yeah, I, I believe it. You you're looking at at the yeah, good I would side. I think there. so at least. <clears throat> um did not have a cable with me. So in terms of accurately measuring the beams. And stuff like that, but just a, a rough score, high one forties, low one fifties. It's an awesome deer.
0: Yeah, it's an awesome deer.
4: What do he weigh? Yeah, what do he weigh? We did not have a scale that uh, was very what? accurate. Biologists just well, biologist did not
1: didn't have, have a scale?
4: scale. We
2: we we. <laughs> we yeah. I love to hear that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know, I sent Colter Chitwood a scale, a, a mulcher scale. He was on here talk about pronghorns, and I asked them. He said, "I've never weighed one." Do we need to get Bronson
0: a scale for his truck?
2: Yes. Before you leave today, we'll send you home with a multi scale. scale.
0: Okay.
2: So, let me just let me just (laughs) explain this here. He does that for work all day, every day. He's in and around all of that technical stuff, and when he gets a chance to go hunting, he just wants to go hunting. I I don't buy. It's kind of like the fact that I don't like to have eight million potted plants on my back porch anymore. (laughs) You You don't. No. What happened? Uh, just, you know, you, you do it all no the more time. Su- no more you, succulents? You do it, all, well, a, a few succulents because <laughs> they're easy. <laughs> but none of the stuff you got to water every day. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like.
4: So something happened. Y'all didn't have one at the right. at
1: the skinning rack, is what I assume.
4: Yeah, I, I'm a guess. That's what my place. And there there was a scale there, but it's kind of been out in the elements yeah. a while. Well, what so do you think you weighed? Yeah, I'm just trying to get ballpark it ballpark. Right. One eighty. Yeah, yeah. one eighty. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, not two twenty two. Well, it's hard to get a bucket. Two two twenty two
0: pounds. I'm I'm going after you. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to do that. We'll bring it out. Yeah, I will. Well, that's a great deer. <laughs> That is a great deer. Congratulations! It was
4: wonderful. Had a great time.
0: It show sure us fun when it all comes together. Yes, it it's is. fun. Period.
1: But it's really fun. When it comes so with together. Craig Harper being down there. I bet there were some interesting conversations. That would have been a good
4: camp. There was there was quite a few conversations. Yeah, I get so tickled <laughs> talking to him. He is he's so much fun to talk to. Everyone. Oh, he is. Yeah, we had a wonderful
2: time. Yeah. I would i'll just say it if craig harper came to my place I'd, I'd be a little intimidated that he's like critiquing my habitat the whole time oh he would be and you <laughs> and you of course you know just in his mind cr- critiquing it
3: your daughter's been begging you to hunt since her little brother shot the big eight last year you've ran a fire dissed the fields got stuck got unstuck planted food plots fertilized And prayed for rain. He moved trees, limbed roads, even bought one of those fancy cell cameras.
0: So, what's
4: your
3: excuse? LS tractor.
1: Moultrie has pioneered the game management category. Today, Moultrie is one of the best-selling brands of feeders and seeders in the world, and they continue to innovate with new technology that gamekeepers will rely on. Moultrie products are always field-tested and designed for hunters by hunters, combining forward-thinking innovation with time-tested practicality. Moultrie, first in feeders since 1979. All right, so guys, Moultrie is offering our listeners a 15% site-wide discount at MoultrieFeeders.com. Use code code Oak with a capital M, Oak at MoultrieFeeders.com, and get that 15% discount. So, two things. I wanted to, since we're kind of talking about big deer... There was uh, the Boone and Crockett Club, which you uh, your trivia last week, and Lanny and I and Dudley are undefeated in trivia, by oh. the way. So, but they ca- <laughs> they they, <laughs> they did a post with uh, what states were had the most Boone and Crockett entries, and I'm not sure when they when they redid this, but I found it very interesting to see that like I've got the top states here, and it's interesting to see what 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 they did rank. So, can does anybody guess the top state for entries? All-time? For, for Boone and All-time or like
4: in the last decade? No,
1: the last decade.
4: I've got my guess. Well, but, I, go ahead, Dudley.
2: I think this is an older one, but I think Dane County, Wisconsin is one of the top ones. I, I was going
0: to say Wisconsin. Wisconsin, Wisconsin is Wisconsin. the top one. Yep.
2: So the number two one, that, that, this might be more interesting than number
1: one. What is number two? Um, hmm. In the last 10 years. Well, when they recently updated.
2: So I'm going to say in the last couple of years. Are we all guessing this?
0: I'm I'm going to I've got a guess in my mind. Number two. Oklahoma. I'm going to say Texas. I'm going to say Kentucky. Indiana. 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 God, I forgot about that
1: Indiana previously was number 10. They moved all the way to number two.
0: That's some gamekeepers up there.
1: So the number three state was Ohio, Hmm. which had previously been the number five state. Uh, Bronson, your state there, you just get Kentucky is the Hmm. number four state, previously number six. Iowa, surprisingly, is number five. I would have thought Iowa might have been a little bit higher up. Iowa had previously been number three, so they dropped Illinois or Illinois. How do you say that? Illinois? Illinois. 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 Uh, number six, and they were number two.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Too many hunters up there, Minnesota Brown been shot out. <laughs> Minnesota number seven, they were number four. And Texas, dear to Bronson's heart, Texas is number
4: eight. Moving up, they were number eleven. Hmm. What about did you record the of the
2: southeastern states?
4: I didn't. I should yeah. have, but I didn't.
1: We'll no. do that next time we bring you on. So I wonder what yeah. it
2: is about Indiana that's. Helping is it have something to do with their harvest? It's uh, probably well. I mean, regulations.
0: Probably, I would think not as a destined a destination as Illinois. Yeah, a sleeper Sleepers sort sleeper yeah. of
1: state that kind of got exposed maybe. Yeah.
0: and they may have some rifle. In Kentucky's regulations.
1: the same way.
0: I mean,
4: there there's a really big deal. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that can be going on in the landscape, of course, but a lot of it too can just be regulatory in terms of going from a two buck state to a one buck mm-hmm. or a three buck to a two buck. Has the effect, of course, of more bucks living, right. and by default getting older, and by default a proportion of those are going to be Boone and Crockett's.
0: I think Kentucky's a one buck state, and mm-hmm. I think Indiana's a one buck state. Yeah, I think Indiana's a one buck state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, and,
1: and I don't. I think they've got rifle regulations as well, um,
2: and I, I want to say it's a little more difficult for out of non-residents, maybe something like that. It's got to be.
1: So, there's one other thing I wanted to point out before we get get we get started. I've been wanting to tell you about this and the, I hadn't told anybody else about it. So, Ooh, okay. There but you go. Uh, but um, you know how we've struggled with food plots, getting food plots up this year. We just didn't get any rain. Right. And I can I can right. remember I had an event that I witnessed and when I saw it, I felt like I was getting to see something few people get to see. Much like you, like your fight that you mm-hmm. get to see. But late uh, w- one afternoon, I was on the edge of a food plot. And if you got down and you just really tried, you could see a little green coming up. There wasn't much green at all. But there was a mama doe came out there with two fawns. And she started browsing what was there. And those fawns would go and got, and they would put their faces underneath her face like they were trying to say, what are you eating, Mama?" is what mm-hmm. I took it to be. And everywhere she put her face, they had just immediately put their face right there. And I felt like she was teaching them to browse
4: on that. It's what it looked like to me. I, and I just wondered, have you ever seen anything like that? Not, not, not to that extent. No. I mean, I've everybody has. You've seen fawns adjacent to their mom and foraging with them, but I've, I've never seen it that specific, like what you're talking about, it was like that plot
1: just emerged that morning, mm-hmm. and it was like their first time to walk out in
4: it. Is what it
1: felt like to me.
4: Their first exposure to a cereal grain and a clover and, and a brassica. She was telling and, them how to do it. it yeah. it's,
1: it's what it looked like.
4: If if you like smeared
1: a little peanut butter on the floor and had three dogs, you know how they would all be right there licking. Mm-hmm. It? That's what that's what they were doing.
4: Hmm. Very interesting. Had to be that biology
1: had to be. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, when I look over here and I think about Indiana, our sales in Indiana have been really strong That's in the exactly last few years.
0: We have turned the Boone and Crockett <laughs> curve.
4: <laughs> For real. Well, in the South, this it's been a couple years since I saw this. And, you know, all this comes from year to year, and another state puts six more in, and so they, they're first place. But uh, Mississippi – the, the year I looked at it, this is several years ago, but from the ten year accumulation Mississippi led the the southeast it may be Arkansas and now
2: I want to nice. say we led the southeast in, in age class of deer as well, yeah, mm-hmm. really, yeah, That's and we shocking. were one of the first to <laughs> to do any kind of antler restrictions uh that mm-hmm. were you know to where we had to target deer over one year old you know and and then the dmap program, yeah, yeah, mhm, yeah.
1: And I'll tell you, this year, there's been
0: – some big I can deer think of
1: three really big deer killed in Mississippi. One over 200 down around Natchez. And then Jessica Crawford's daughter killed a, a true 190. Caroline Winters. A in the North Delta. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was – I just saw it last night. There was a, a lady in Winston County killed a 181-inch deer. In Winston County? Winston County.
2: Yeah. I hadn't seen that one. That's just – 20, 20 minutes from my house. Mm-hmm.
1: That's where old Rob Kenny lives. In. No,
0: yeah, that's Winston County.
1: I think it is. And you know, Rob Rob hit, uh, killed his first deer this past yeah, week. Yeah, he sure did. got he a little blood on the wildlife. He sure
0: did. Go, Rob.
1: Everybody needs to ask him the story when they see him. We won't go into a lot of detail.
0: Big waterfowl guy. We broke him into the venison game. Good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's just, it was just a great little story. It's a great it, story. I, I mean, everybody has accidentally shot a button buck. Every, every, everybody.
2: Th- it did- uh, I think I did three in one season one time.
0: Well, let me tell you what the first one I killed in my life was a button buck, and I could not be more pleased with it. Yeah, I, I can remember early
1: on doing it myself. And if you're trying to shoot does, which was what they, they were trying to do, Bronson, mm-hmm. you're nodding
0: your head. Oh, yeah. It it's going to happen. It's better. Yeah. We just need to get rid of the term button buck. And just use the word antlerless. Is uh, would you? Don't they say it's
4: like ten percent of the harvest ends up being typically? Yeah, about ten percent of the antlerless harvest will be yearling. Excuse me, buck fawns. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. hmm. yeah. So, so we've also heard. Maybe I'm getting off subject here, which you know I'm known to do. Dude. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we heard. I'm hearing. And I don't know if it got from the MDWFP or where I'm hearing this. A murmur. I could have just dreamed it up. I don't know, but. I'm hearing some people talk that if, um, this time of year, if there's a spike and he's three, less than three inches, then more than likely he was either born too late or born too early or something like that. doesn't have the right nutrition and would probably be good to harvest him if you're trying to drop deer density. That's
4: going to be, uh, pretty debatable. Mm-hmm. It all depends on your your goals and your harvest program and so forth. But yeah, that is that is something we were a part of with MDWFMP. Mm-hmm. The, the thing I, I, hate to, uh, I hate to generalize because you could literally be four counties over and, and this wouldn't work for you. Mm-hmm. The, the, the age and antler growth relationship would be different. But where this study was done, which was in Lowndes County, mm-hmm. I mean, right around here, There was a pretty clear line, and I want to say it was like three inches or two inches, but those little itty bitty spikes versus an older, you know, six or eight inch spike, Mm -hmm. if you followed those in consecutive years, the little bitty spikes tended to be tended to have smaller antlers at three or four years of age. Interesting. And so it's just one of those where If that is part of your program where you needed to kill some bucks and you were not getting it done with the older bucks and had to get down into the yearling age class. So there's a bunch of ifs here. Mm -hmm. So if you had to dip into the yearling age class to harvest some bucks, that would be the buck to harvest. But I do not like to generalize and say that works everywhere. That that was right there at that study site.
0: Hmm. Makes sense. This is Lanny at the Gamekeepers of Mossy Oak. I've been shooting Nosler bullets as long as I've been wearing Mossy Oak. Nosler ballistic tip ammunition is made for knocking deer down right where they stand. Nosler's famous ballistic tip bullet is the key. It has controlled expansion and bone crushing punch to turn a whitetail's lights out. Bring home more deer this year with ballistic tip ammunition from Nosler. Buy now at Nosler.com.
1: It's really odd to see those because I know exactly. There's some you see, and it's just something just barely poking out of the hair, Mm -hmm. and you can miss it really easy if it late Mm -hmm. afternoon you're trying to kill those. But then you see other spikes, and they're four,
4: five, six inches long, right? And it's the same age animal. S- same age class animal, year class animal, but there's probably
1: a couple of months. months yeah, I'm it, it could have
2: possibly. been born from a uh, like a, a fawn that went in went into estrus a month or two later. Yeah, February so, so, or something.
0: So, That's so right.
2: Technically, that deer may be one or two months younger. So if the, if
0: we're trying to massively lower deer density, you know, those guys should probably be on our list.
4: Th- that would be my last ditch. Last I would, yeah. If I was not getting it done with doe harvest. Mm-hmm. I, I was not getting it done with three and a half or older bucks that had below average antlers. Mm-hmm. I mean that that doe harvest number one, selective buck harvest mm-hmm. at three and a half or older, number two. If I had to go down to uh, shoot yearling, step three, that, that'd be step three. Yep. Gotcha.
2: Sounds like you'd have to have a pretty high population of deer to even consider that. Most of the you
0: time. Would, I'm going to tell you, I, I have never seen more deer than I've seen this year in my life around this, these parts of the world. I, maybe just where I am. but You would think that deer, if
1: he's just a couple of months behind, eventually would catch up. It, and I'm saying two or three years from now. But yeah. I have tr- you know I believe you when you say studies show that they ne- yeah, they'd so never catch maybe up. Maybe
2: it would have to be seven or eight years old to reach its full potential compared to like five to six or something like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, really interesting. We I always I heard do. something. I just didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that's that really is uh, an interesting way to something to look at. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 that's kind of new to us. I and mean, because
0: we're being encouraged to shoot your limit of bucks and does.
4: Let, let, I want to be real careful about yeah. this. So. Yeah that that was a studied population where we had all this data where we knew the age and the average antler size of that population so what can be difficult is you someone hears this and there's this generalization that right. hey they said that uh yearling bucks that have you know spikes of 3 inches or less shoot them well if you're in a population somewhere else in Mississippi go to south mississippi you might be shooting half your yearling bucks mm-hmm. if you did that mm-hmm. or we're just going to shoot spikes on our well that could be 90% of your your yearling buck cohort mm-hmm. in certain parts so it has to be really really site specific a lot of data collection
0: working with an expert to come up with those recommendations so the MDWFP is encouraging us to encourage not us everybody to you know shoot their limited deer mm-hmm. is that in relation to deer density
4: uh deer density as well as if you're in a cwd zone for cwd management mm-hmm. yep. but yeah deer populations appear to be from the data the surveys etc increasing yeah yeah well and and so prior to that in pr- past years
1: it seemed like people had just kind of fallen off on shooting their their does and and some other right. so that's what they're, Not they're trying to correct mm-hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> and, let's, me. <laughs> and let's be clear now bronson uh We didn't say to shoot those bikes. You did. So wanna wanna make make sure. But Um, people should go back and listen to that again and not make just really
2: quick assumptions because that
0: it's really interesting stuff. I mean, just all the way around. I mean, my
2: my assumption on this deer population thing, and again it's an assumption, is that the some of these larger tracks where it's, you know, one landowner and you, you have a lot of larger landowners near each other. That's where I'm hearing about and seeing higher populations. Yeah. When you get to these areas where it's a lot of 40s, 80s, and 120s all together, and all of those people hunt a lot, uh, some of those areas in in my mind when I'm driving around, it has fewer fewer mm-hmm. deer. Interesting. You know, those guys have been filling their freezer every year. Yeah. So it just is depends. That, it always depends. It always depends. So, Bronson, you came
1: over here with this publication in your hand. Y'all have got We've a We've already new ran study. out of time. We
0: even came. What did we talk about? Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> that, uh, that, so y'all have been doing a lot of research on, on movements, and uh, this is some pretty fascinating stuff. And wh- where should we start? I want to make sure we cover the highlights and the things that you found Fascinating and interesting and surprising. And I'd like for people that are listening to this to be able to hopefully apply something that they learn here to make them a better hunter.
2: Yeah. And I, I'm going to cut you all off. I urge everybody to go and print this PDF out and, and put a staple in it and put it on your desk. It's, it's yeah. very important.
4: Yeah. So – you you can find it on the MSU Deer Lab website. That's where you can go. Um, we also Steve and I recorded a podcast on Deer University, and so if you if you watch that podcast on uh, YouTube, we did a little QR code to help people, so you can just oh, put nice. your phone on that and go. Get, but anyway, if you go to the MSU Deer Lab website, we got a publications link, and under that you'll you'll find this. So it's free to view, free to download, pass it around, but. Yeah, this finally, I mean, heck, uh, we, we kind of been talking about some of these results for a number of years. And so we finally got most of all the technical, the journal articles done and the, all the peer review. So what we wanted to do is finally, you know, it culminate in a publication and all the technical jargon out as best we could, but in something that managers and hunters could read, use, think about. And that that's what this document is. Well, how do you come up with a like th- this is uh, understanding buck
1: movement? So, do y'all have a bunch of ideas that y'all want to study, and and and, you, and some student is like, "Hey, this interests me. I'd like to do this one," or do y'all assign it to somebody?
4: Well, it, it it starts with an idea, and then that idea needs to be funded for it to become a research project. And the idea was MDWFMP. I mean, they're they're the ones that funded this, and so they're getting feedback every single year. Um, where did the deer go we don't have any bucks what happened to them and you know and their response of course is very logical the, the deer are there you're you're just not seeing them mm-hmm. and so but finally it culminated in well let's just do a study let's put some gps collars on a lot of bucks in an area that's intensively hunted and intensively managed and so that that that's essentially what it was and so we ended up with uh, two graduate students that were in charge of that, so they did this work for their master's degree, uh, Ashley and Colby, and uh, and essentially each student would kind of have a theme of what they they were looking at, and so for for example, one of the themes was you'll see in here uh, a behavioral profile, and that's looking at is a deer, are they moving, are they bedded, are they foraging. And that's just a way to look at the data to give a behavioral profile. That was under Ashley's domain. And then Colby kind of did more of the habitat related uh, studies where bucks are spending their time. Does that change relative to hunting pressure? That was kind of the theme of what he looked at. And then there's just all of this, other, all of these little questions when you're looking at these data. What about this? What about that? What about that? We just quantified all that things that we thought would be useful in generate the graphs and put it in a publication how long did it take y'all to do this study um the study was about three years so there's a there's a period I'm just gonna round here there's like a year ish of capture and putting the collars on and all that and then we had the goal it all depends on the battery life in the unit but we try to get two years out of out of each buck sometimes mm-hmm. they get killed sometimes the collar fails, but normally that worked out. And then to get two years out of those collars, we have to set the uh, the timing of how often it transmits the data. And so we wanted to make sure we had very fine scale movement data during the hunting season because hmm. that's of the greatest interest. So we were getting locations every 15 minutes. Every 15 minutes we get a ping. The cost of that, though, is it burns your battery. So when we got to the end of hunting season, then we were doing like uh, a ping every three or four hours, c- conserve battery life. And then when hunting's getting near October
2: again, we increased the frequency. So, hmm. Well, that that's, in my mind, that makes sense because they move more during those times, right? And so by getting more pings, it would be more detailed.
4: Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. But also... Um, the interaction with hunters i mean we just want it to be fine scale you're exactly right they are moving more but that's also a more sensitive time we want the most complete day they could also
2: be bumped by a hunter right yeah okay
3: the Ferminator is the industry's most versatile piece of food plot equipment, allowing plotters to do every step of the process working the soil, adding seed and soil supplements, and compacting from start to finish with a single implement. It's hassle free by design. Set it for the seed size and simply drive the tractor, and the Ferminator does the rest. Check it out at theferminator.com.
2: Hey guys, Dudley from Gamekeepers here. I want to tell you about the all-new Gunner dog bowl. It's designed for home and built for travel. It's customizable, leak-resistant, light on weight, solid on durability, and rust-proof. Like other Gunner products, they're made in Nashville and designed for everywhere. Well, what inter- what came out of this that
4: surprised you the most? Um let me see. Let me see if I can find that figure, and I'll show you. And While you're
1: looking at that, so you've got these two students. Why don't you give their full names?
4: Uh, Ashley Chance, she now works for the Wildlife Federation, and Colby Henderson is now a private lands biologist for MDWFMP, okay. Mississippi nice. Department of Wildlife, Fishers, and Parks. So, yep, they are well into their careers and doing well, so that's... Feels very good. They did a great job for their master's degree, and and they are have launched their wildlife careers. They're doing well. Nice. Excellent. We're proud nice. of them. Very proud of These them. Kids coming out of Mississippi State getting good good jobs. Hey, Amen. So here's one, Bobby, that um, I would think would be of interest because it it really plays into the whole bedding area and the buck's bedroom and how reliable their affinity to going back. If you go to uh, figure nine, and that's the difference between the the total distance they move and the net distance that they move. Hmm. And so you'll see with that graph, it's uh, yards traveled per day, and it's broken out by the different uh, rut periods. But notice that other metric there is called a net distance. So total distance is... Bobby if i put a collar on you at 6 a.m. and i tracked how far you went for 24 hours until 6 a.m. the next day that's the total path you took that would be your total distance moved
2: so kind of like, like your, your steps, step count yeah your yeah, step, step counter counter count on on yeah, all the time on your yeah, phone
4: that's right he's, that's right he's a he's a step counter the net the technical way to say it's net displacement but the net distance would be the distance between where you started And you did your your total and where you ended up. Okay. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Where you started. So if where you started and did your total day and came back to right where you started, your net distance would be zero. Okay. Now, if a buck is going back to the same place every day, old reliable, I know he's bedded there every single day, net distance would be near zero. Hmm. But net distance, as you see, varies from in the pre-rut to four to 500 yards, all the way into the late post-rut to over 700 yards. So they're moving a lot. So where you catch them on day one is not necessarily where you're going to catch them on day two.
0: That's still pretty tight, though, you know, to be within 700 yards of where you were that morning. I mean, I know Bobby's got a zero net distance every night, but (laughs) I mean, you know, most... You know, well, seven
1: hundred yards could be the difference in being on one end of the clear cut or the other. Yeah, that's right. It's oh, yeah. almost half a mile. Almost
4: half a mile. Yeah. And um, something we always talk about too that we wanted to include in here that people could actually see a lot of talk about excursions, and remember, excursions are when you have a what we called a, a sedentary personality versus mobile versus the mobile. That's right sedentary is just that traditional when you look at their cluster of points it's a big old blob and they're all in that blob well you you can see there that would be figure 11 you see where they took these big movements these big swings out yeah. those are excursions and whoop de doo the thing is that's if you're on a managed property that, that's when they're vulnerable Mm-hmm. So if you have neighbors that aren't aligned with you on your management program, and I was seeing this buck, I was seeing this buck, and then he gets killed and he's gone, then it's probably happens on an excursion, and so they are they are doing that. Every buck is doing that a couple times every year, so they're leaving your property, and so you could potentially though pick up another deer.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's that story. Well, I've never seen him before. I didn't have any pictures of him. And Absolutely. who is this?
2: Yeah.
4: It's not possible. That is going to happen. Yeah.
1: I yeah. think
2: I read where about a third of the deer are more mobile. mobile, And about right. two thirds are going to be your, your homeboys. Yeah. Homeboys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's exactly right. And
4: so the the mobile personality, I think we got some graphs in here on that. I hope mm-hmm. we do anyway. You do. Yeah. There we go. A, a mobile personality is just that they're essentially their their home range is in two different spots. So they spend a couple months or half a year in one place, and then they spend half a year in a completely different place <clears throat> with no overlap at all. And so those are kind of those cases too where, uh, and you hear, you've probably experienced it. I've never seen this buck before. Every year around November 1st, this buck shows up on my property, and I get pictures of him. That is a living example of this
2: mobile personality. I think the most popular example of that, and I know all of us have seen this, is the deer that was crossing the Mississippi River Oh yeah, in, in part of this yeah. study. And yeah. it, uh, he did it two years in a row.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And essentially at the same time. I mean, it was like within a week or two him leaving Mississippi and going to Louisiana, leaving Louisiana coming back to Mississippi. It was it was timed up literally within a week or two. At both both of those years. Yeah, so that's an extreme example. Yeah, I
2: can't help but think that's like mother nature's way of keeping deer from being inbred or something, you know. <laughs>
4: It, an extreme example, maybe we think of that though, Dudley, with dispersal. You know, yearling buck dispersal; those right. bucks leave, and that's okay. generally what we think Got of it. with that. Got it. Um, I often wonder: is it is it something in a small proportion of deer of just being a colonizer? In other words, I'm never going to know if there's anything if there's greener pastures if I don't occasionally take an excursion or an extreme go somewhere else. And so maybe it's just somewhere embedded within it, within them evolutionarily mm-hmm.
2: to, to seek greener pastures. I mean, some individuals, you know, I like to go on long walks in the woods. You know, Bobby likes to sit in a shooting house. Yeah. Well, who killed a two hundred twenty-two inch deer this year?
0: Twenty-two <laughs> pound, pound. pound. two
1: hundred, yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. Yeah, That's a big difference. Some, some people are bird, some people are bird hunters and rabbit hunters, and some people are deer hunters. You know, yeah, we just we're all different.
1: So, do you think that uh, that more deer are excursionists than we might have thought? I mean, because obviously you don't have collars on. But does this study show that that you know, then a lot of these deer maybe. Getting up and doing these long
4: jaunts. Well, what, they all were. They all were. So kind of the, the difference, the way it, it broke down was all of the sedentary bucks did these excursions. And so an excursion is literally a day or two or three at the most. But they are always coming back to home, to their home right. They're just doing a little loop. But what's interesting is these bucks that had the mobile personalities – they didn't do excursions. It was like the excursion nature within them was the mobile personality. Hmm. They didn't do little two-day excursions. They just went to that new place and they set up. But, Dudley, you may also remember within that mobile personality, we also had two categories that were very defined. It wasn't a one-off. It had these differences that Luke, I believe, called them – Uh, A shifter versus a bouncer. And what that means is they're they're both mobile personality. So they have these distinct home ranges. The shifter is they moved this home range, they moved over here and stayed here and then came back. The bouncer has the two different home ranges, but he bounces like a pinball back and forth between them. So we Mm -hmm. saw a number of bucks do that and a number that they shift and they stayed there that they would shift back like buck 140 crossing the river. Sure. That's a shifter. He shifted to a different area. Hmm. And then we had the sedentaries. It's like then they did the excursions. So it's like there's some degree hmm. of this exploration. Sure. And all of them. They just do it different ways. It a different Lanny's way. a
2: bouncer. I'm, I'm a shifter. I'm and, sure a bouncer. And Bobby's a sedentary. <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, I'm definitely mobile. <laughs> so I've always,
1: uh, you know, since since the having cameras and kind of trying to keep up with their – It seems like they have they leave during the a lot a lot of the deer stay on a property spring and summer and in early fall and then one day there they're just gone. And I've always heard it the they have a different rut territory or a
4: rut range or it, it is is that it proving true in any of your yeah, well, for, for some bucks, that is exactly the case. But, but then there's also, you know, we're talking about hunting season movements primarily. We then also have the whole bachelor group deal, you know, during the summer. So there can be some shifts there, and some of them are doing it dramatically, some not so much. But the bachelor group spending time together, and then they break apart. As soon as they start getting into hard antler, they start uh, breaking off and go into their fall home range And then some of them will then even move again after that.
1: Hmm. Are
4: the does pretty much staying where they are? Um, We we only have, uh, as part of different studies, maybe 10 or 20 does versus in here we had 50, 60 or more bucks. We would see that sometimes with does, that they would also have a mobile personality. But I don't think it was... It's hard to say because our sample size was so limited. Yeah. It's hard for me to say what proportion, but we did see that that behavior. Hmm. So
1: you wouldn't think that they would be quite as mobile because in the summertime, they've got phones with them, and you wouldn't
2: think they would be dragging those phones a long distance in the summer.
4: Mm-hmm. You wouldn't think.
2: Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like we need uh, to get somebody to fund a study on those.
4: Now you're talking.
2: So, right now, we
4: are
1: the moon is that 61% of being full. On the day that I love to hunt so much, that 26th and 27th, it'll be 100% full. From what I read going through your study here, the things that I've thought all my life about how the moon maybe affects a little movement, I think you guys have proven that that's not the case in, in this. Do you feel confident in saying something like that?
4: I guess the way I will (laughs) respond to that, as always, is uh, just look at the data. (laughs) And that is figure five. Look at the data there. We have the uh, daily movements, average movements for all these bucks. And superimposed on that, we have the uh, moon phase. So the amount of luminosity.
2: And there's just no relationship with moon phase. Mm. I know... It's increasingly difficult for people to believe people in the science community, especially thanks to COVID uh, a couple of years ago. But it's hard to refute a GPS collar wrapped around the neck of a deer. I mean, it's just hard to
0: argue that. I would agree agree more. Yeah, I would agree. (laughs) I mean, that... As much as I every, want to say a full moon Every time you movement, mention that, yeah. you know, somebody's like, ain't no way I've done, you know. I, I mean, I've I mean, seen it. I know what I saw.
2: But I, <laughs> and I, you know, I said that at first and then I thought about it and I'm like, you know, this is a radio, a GPS collar on a deer and it pings every so minutes and proves whether they're moving. Uh, well, and, how, you know, I mean, if they move 10 feet, is that moving or?
4: W- we probably wouldn't pick that up. Gotcha. so you know you're using satellites to triangulate the position so there's at any given time there may be a 10 to 15 meter yeah error associated i with mean it.
2: i'd love to hear a listener's argument on this if they think there's a, a gap in this uh, or any holes in this the way this study was done but i mean there's a lot of studies out there that you're like well if they had done this or done that but i mean this is a A GPS collar around the neck of a deer. How can you, you know,
4: and and even think of it this way, too. To me, things have to, and this is probably me being a, a nerdy scientist part, but when you report a finding, here's what the data are. Look, you have to then interpret it. You have to then to give a reason, a hypothesis for why you're seeing this. Otherwise, it could just be random chance. So it has to be a reasonable conclusion. So, Bobby, I'll pitch it back to you. Why would moon phase affect the hunger and or sex drive of a buck? Does it affect you? Do you get less hungry or more hungry based on moon phase? Well, Lanny, you got your hand raised. Go ahead.
2: Well, the old Lanny, just tell them what the old theory is of you know why a deer would move when the moon is out at night. Over, I mean, it it may it seems like common sense to
0: me. I was actually looking at this graph, so, so <laughs> I mean, it's I, I it's, was it's, just wanted to say something after you said the question he asked you. You need, you need to answer.
1: Well, so, so I don't see how it would affect hunger, but I I wonder if uh I mean you know that you I've just all my life heard. Well, look at all the crazies. It was a full moon last night. The crazy people were out doing all, that all kind of crimes and just stuff I, happens on full moons. I think the
2: emergency room stats are true.
1: And, and so yep. I've just always had heard it like full moon. Mm-hmm. The deer would feed all night long. They could see better. Maybe there was something to to that. So then you, you would hunt middle of the day because those deer were going to get be be uh, they, hungry they, again. They'd be uh-huh. hungry again, and they'd get up during the middle of the day. So that
0: that's kind of what I grew up hearing. Yeah, me too. Me, too. me too. But if you look at this graph, though, I mean, and look at the data. I mean, what that shows me that there's more buck movement on that full moon than any other time during the year. How do you see that? Well, I mean, I look at the peak buck movement, and then I look at the the peak moon, and. Like the peak of the rut is during the full moon. So you're seeing a rut effect, not a moon effect. Yeah, and I think the rut, but I would. <laughs> no, I think he's seeing all that together. Yeah, I've seen all that together. And I wonder, and I've always wondered this, I thought the moon phase affected when the does came in estrus. Not that the you know, deer could see better at night. Again. Completely anecdotal. I don't but know what the hell I'm I think talking they've, about. They've but, proven
2: but, that wrong by measuring the fetus of, mm-hmm. um, you know, baby deer to prove you know there a certain length at a certain time, and then they can go back to the date that they were conceived, and they've
0: shown that. Yeah, but that's they, when they were bred. But it's, they can only happen in a 24 hour period, right? Is that right? What you told me is that wrong, Kim? What can can they conceive yeah. within a? It's we
4: think it's about a 12 hour period. That's pretty crazy. That's what we're, they're in standing. Heat. So they're gonna be like in estrus probably for a two day period. That's when the tending and the courtship mm-hmm. and the chasing, and then she'll be in standing heat. You got twelve. She'll hours be receptive. To get it done. Gotcha. For, give give or take.
0: Yeah, I mean, but again the graph, the peak of the rut Well is, go to is the, the peak other. Of the moon, I mean the
2: there's four other not? there's I- four other full moons on that graph. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I mean you I'm seeing no
0: you. difference in movement there. Yeah.
2: It just happens to
0: coincide with does the Does it just the happen to coincide? Day. Does the peak rut just happen to coincide with the full moon here? Yeah. And and has it has no influence on it.
4: And and every year hmm. that that cycle's not gonna align as perfectly with the peak of the rut here. Gotcha. You know what I mean? It shifts a few days I mean, every, every Can y'all
0: year. see what I'm talking I about, see what you're, gonna, and, I think what it's what going to happen this year. Yeah, it's right? happening this year. Is the, why the, I keep thinking about it. The, the full moon is, is going to peak about peak the 26th, right.
1: 27th. And that's according to all the little calendars that I get, that's when it's happening around right And now. I've always yeah. looked
0: and again, again, it's just, I always use the full moon and the late, the whatever the, the full moon is in late December is when I need to be Do you know what, in the woods the most.
2: I'm, I'm gonna the jump full in. moon changes from uh, year to year just,
0: just yes. real quick so yeah the
2: thought it does but so does the rut vary a little bit according to the fetus studies it
0: does not okay so i didn't do the fetus study
3: so <laughs> the, i guess i know i know this study was just here in the south in Lyons county but uh talking about the moon uh you know we were in oklahoma a month ago at the peak of their rut and Wonder what their you know, the moon phase was. Was
0: it full moon? You were out there.
3: Yeah. I was, uh if I'm trying to remember I think but, it was full moon. Uh well I have to go back and double check to be honest. But go ahead, I'd say I something think... anecdotal. To no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm just saying I wonder
2: well, be honest, look, I can't remember.
1: Well go, go look at the dates. Yeah, say go Google it. It'll yeah. show you the moon. You mm-hmm. can go back to the weather. So and,
2: and here I'll
0: go. Up. Where were you hunting? I'll find out. Why
2: I mean I think a lot of people are just more confident when they're hunting the full moon because of what they've always thought growing up. And so you sit longer, you look harder, you're hunting more intensive, like, and you may not go out and sit on a full day if it's not a full moon. So you're not going to see deer. I I think, I think we've just been tricking our brains on this.
4: I I, I do too, Dudley. And, and I think that depending on what you call, and this is going to be very population by population, Um, based on sex ratio and the deer density, et cetera, but whatever you're calling the peak rut, some people might say it's a two week period. Some people say it's a three. I mean, there's rutting activity for a month, right?
0: Oh yeah. Between
4: the pre and the peak. 100%. Okay. So you are always at the beginning or the middle of the end. You're always going to have a full moon event during the rut. Sure. Because it's every, t- isn't it the 28 day? Yeah, or yeah that's right. So yeah, you're, yeah. you're going to have
0: that hitting during uh, the rut at some time. But don't does go into estrus based on photo period?
4: Yes, photo period. But that is independent of moon.
0: Right. But moon's got light. It, but it comes up. <laughs> but that's not how it triggers their physiology. Yeah. I'm trying. You know what? I know.
1: <laughs> A
4: for effort.
1: A for effort. I've always heard that December. Moon, a full moon, moon.
4: was called a rut moon. Yeah. I've heard that too. But I'm not buying it.
1: So they also <laughs> I, I, they also say that waterfowl migrate by the moon. The biggest bunches of waterfowl migrate when the moon is full. It, it, have Who you heard that as a, as a biologist? Have they. you heard that?
4: I, I cannot speak to that. <laughs> I don't know. And I'm not trying to – I genuinely I, – I don't know. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: There's just so much misinformation. This is, but to Dudley's point, I mean, this is pretty daggum quantified right here. It is. I mean, and I trust you, a hundred percent,
1: Bronson. If I, I would put my life in, I, I, I believe that you're a stand-up
0: guy, and you guys have. <laughs> it, it, it really is. So if you tell me this, I'm gonna believe it. I think. I mean, he's got the data, you know, and there's ways you can interpret the data. Uh, to, to address, I will try my best. Shoot me a text
4: tonight. I will try my best to look this up, Lanny, for you. And I remember seeing it. I don't know if they did it originally or they were reporting it, but Lindsay Thomas at QDMA and Quality Whitetails years ago had a fantastic graphic from a particular area. I don't think it was just a population, maybe a region at a couple like county scale using fetal data. So, I mean, that is the final straw. Yeah. I mean, when that fetus was conceived, that that's when you know. And they did that like for over 10 years, 10 years. And they had this graph and you could just see every year there may be a one or two or three day, but the, the bell shaped curve mm-hmm. of the rut Every single year, there was hardly any variation. And then they put, staggered with that as an informative graphic, they had, where was the full moon relative to the peak of the rut? And you could just see the moon was here this year. This year, it was right here. This year, it was right here. The, the moon is dancing over that decade all around the peak of the rut, but the peak of the rut never changed. Gotcha. I mean, it was just very, very good way to graph that and demonstrate. That makes sense. I'm just showing you one year, yeah, Yeah. yeah. two years here. They had a decade, yeah, yeah. So you're right.
1: Every month there's a new moon. Mm -hmm. So through all these years, that 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 I'm just speaking for Clay County. So, so if the peak of the rut right here is say December 27th, so in a 10 year window that we could have a half moon on the 27th, Mm -hmm. we could have a full moon, we could have no moon. It just
4: but, that, quarter, but the 27th quarter. is going to always be that peak, is what right. you're saying. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you even get into stuff like, so what if it's a full moon, but it's cloudy? And yeah. the luminosity is yeah. not there. Yeah. Is that affecting their vision at night? And then back to Bobby to, and I'm not picking on you with this. That I've, I've heard this my whole life. I'll hear it again probably this year about the uh, the emergency room. Full moon, and that's yeah. true. I mean that, it, from what I can tell, that is true. There's a be there will be a subtle spike in mm-hmm. some crime, but everybody's not behaving that way. So let's say you have a little bit of spike in the emergency room. So <laughs> let's say the baseline of emergency room visits. I'm making you know a hundred visits a night. That's normal, and then we got the full moon night, and it's 115. But see, we have an overwhelming number of people that aren't changing their behavior at all, but we're keying on some tiny little blip of a small number of individuals and saying the full moon is changing society at some level.
2: Oh, now we're getting philosophical (laughs) here. So if we were in the caveman days when we didn't have homes and electricity and lights, would that number be any different?
0: Probably. Could be. Probably. So, what about um, just speaking with fish movement, thinking about that? I know you know fish movement. I mean, water. they that's
2: tides and all, you know, there's, yeah, I think there's, there's more comes that.
0: into play with that
2: because yeah. it actually causes the water to go up and down.
0: Okay. Well, there's also, what is it called? The perigee and the apogee is how close the moon is versus yeah. how far the moon is from you. In other words, how big the moon is and how much magnetic mm-hmm. uh, draw it has on there. So, I guess what I'm saying, there's uh, there's more than one kind of full moon. <laughs> and there's a whole nother part of the moon that uh, we're
4: we're going to do this. We just have not had the time yet. Um, every time, like when we post something on social media, like showing these data about the moon, people are very quick to say, what about the position of the moon? That's right. So that gets into the what is moon overhead, moon underfoot. Moon rise, moon set. And we haven't looked at that. So next year, Bobby, we might be sitting here and saying, hey, the luminosity of the full moon, new moon has nothing to do with it, but the timing of moon rise and moon set very well may. So I remain wide open. We're going to go with what the data
2: tell us. (laughs) Heck yeah. (laughs) This
0: is awesome. Um,
2: (laughs) I I think it's cool too, the the habitat use differences based on pressure and then the, the stuff about, you know, uh, the hunting on a five kind of a, uh, you know, people hunt all weekend and then leave to go to work for five days and then come back, compared to areas that get hunted every day or you know that get very light usage. Yeah, uh, that was that was an interesting part of it.
0: I I, th- I thought the home range was pretty interesting. I mean, yeah, well,
4: some of these bucks ha- have a 500 acre, right. you know, fall, winter home range, and some of them, and that's that mobile personality, yeah. a couple
0: thousand. And then you got the 2,000 acre guy. Yeah. It's kind of like Meat
2: yeah. Turkey. It, it looks botten. like
0: the average was <laughs> was around
2: 700 <laughs> acres, maybe, for the lower end. What? what yeah. Yeah,
0: 850. Well, I'm I mean, getting. the median was 859. Uh, 27% occupied less than 500 acres, and 22% yeah. occupied more than 2,000.
4: So that old rule of thumb we always heard yeah. of bucks homes, homes, one square mile, by right the square mile. Yeah, that's pretty on target. <laughs> it is. For some of the bucks, the sedentary bucks, not the mobile bucks. Right. So when you went through all this data, was there anything that jumped out at you that said, ooh, I'm going to apply that to my hunting. That's going to make me go. a better hunter. Uh, I, I'm not going to going to say, I don't know if you can do a lot with it other than it gives me Understanding, and I really like Figure sixteen with the daily home range versus a two week home range. Hmm. And so, um, I guess people that are listening and can't see the the two week home range. Couldn't so- describe it. Let me just describe it. It looks like you shot some some apex
1: some TSS That's- at about twenty yards with a f- extra full choke into this photograph uh, of the, of
0: a uh, country shot.
1: You're looking at the wrong. That's, well, that's figure wrong, 17. Figure.
0: <laughs> wrong figure. Wrong <laughs> figure. We're at 16. Go to the left, Bob. Come on, Richie. You yeah, don't have a sound. I had that. a good analogy. <laughs> hey, it's still, <laughs> it still There it works. is. <laughs> man. So I, that's pretty the, cool.
4: the, the two week home range follows exactly what you know is happening they are covering a lot more ground during the rut, during the peak of the rut. But what is so amazingly similar is how much ground they cover a day. Yeah. 200 acres. And and so if you think of it like this, when you're not in the rut, those little 200-acre daily ranges, they're overlapping each other. All right? But when you start getting into the, the rut, pre-rut, rut, now they're still spending 200 acres, but now we have that, remember the net distance, that displacement, now that 200 acres they're spending is over here. And the next day, 200 acres is over here.
0: And that's so, the, the peak and late rut.
4: That, that, that's right. Huh. So that's kind of a little understanding of how they're using
2: space. So they may be in a different place on any given day, but they're they're moving about the same amount? That that that's right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that'll
0: right. tell you why. It's my favorite time to hunt's the late rut. I mean, a hundred percent. Well
2: that's yeah, that's when you that's when you start seeing those random deer. I yeah, guess. minus yeah.
0: pressure. If you can control the pressure on a place, late rut's where it's at.
4: And and it's never gonna, you know, this is more theoretical on the landscape. There's a lot of gray area overlap and so forth. But to me I kind of think of it as, you know, if you could if you had a blank slate, you could just create habitat. If you're pairing on a two, three, 400-acre scale, I've got quality cover and quality food here. And then I got another three, 400-acre block over here, quality cover, quality food. What these data are saying is that basically they're going to each of those Mm -hmm. and making a circuit going around there. And if you think about it during the rut or pre-rut, you know, at each one of those cover with food areas there's there's a doe group mm-hmm. and so they're they're going checking and them. heat checking and if they're lucky they're going to tend and breed mm-hmm. and they're going to go to another one and they're mm-hmm. just going to move around opportunistically to where they find does looking for that magical 12 hours
1: yeah <laughs> so i don't have it right here in front of me but i read your information and there was one paragraph in there that talked about that quality vegetation quality forage and there was, a, there was a percentage that they were like 10 times more visible. A book was 10 times more likely to be at an area with quality vegetation and or even a feeder. Y'all listed a feeder in, in this um, as opposed to, I'm not sure what it was opposed to, but I saw that 10 times more likely or 10 times more visible, and that caught my attention. What, what am I thinking about there?
4: Uh, it, it could be two things there so when we were talking about the different habitats and it's uh we called it selection strength and what what essentially that means is is you're trying to come up with is there a a habitat type or somewhere on the landscape that they prefer to spend more time and so do they prefer to spend more time in the pine forest prefer to spend more time in the bottomland hardwoods etc the uh you're probably talking about, Bobby, cool season food plots uh, mm-hmm. Oh, specifically. yes, Yeah. The cool that yeah. that's where. And so what that means by when we have that metric of selection strength, that means that if something is very rare on the landscape, the acres of it is very rare, but they're spending a disproportionate amount of time there. That tells us this is where they want to be. Mm-hmm. They are making a concerted effort to spend a lot of time here. Uh, t- to just to give you a general example, if I'm making something up, if pine forests represented fifty percent of the landscape and deer spent fifty percent of their time in a pine forest, then that would mean there's no selection for it; that they're just using it at random. But if something is very rare on the landscape and they're spending a lot of time there, that means they're selecting for it. And that was food plots mm-hmm. huh. more so than feeders.
2: Yeah, uh-huh. food plots. Oh yeah, cool and warm season.
4: Yeah, and on this Dudley, so there might be some confusion there. It's like, why is this warm season, food plots in, in the hunting season? Um, so you have some of these plots where it could still be standing grain, right? Mm-hmm. So it could be corn or beans. And then also some of these plots was deer vetch, and so left standing. And so on these properties, they were doing what we recommend is that A warm season plot is a warm season plot. Cool season is cool season. We're not plowing up our warm to convert it. So some of those warm season plots during deer season are providing food, and some of them are even providing cover. So there was still a lot of selection for those during the hunting season.
2: That's good to know. Would that
3: be, uh, just looking at your figures here, figure 24 and 25, what you're referring to?
4: Yeah. Yes, exactly. And then we broke it down by day or night. So if you look at 25, 24 is 24-hour 24 period. 25 is just looking at the difference in selection day at night. And of course, they're selecting for food plots more at night than they are during the day. Mm-hmm. But But some of that is just related to things we can influence as hunters, is how you hunt those, don't pressure them too much. Here's the sentence that I that struck.
1: Thank you, Richie, for pointing. I, I couldn't find it. So it's uh, it says on a I'm on page 18. It says on a per acre basis, adult bucks are 10 times more likely to visit sites with a feeder and five times more likely to visit sites within a food plot than areas of natural vegetation types. Therefore, hunters who choose locations between areas of vegeta- vegetative cover and areas of deer forage, such as food plots or feeders, may experience increased success in harvesting adult bucks. So that I, I kind of keyed in on that paragraph because the harvesting adult bucks was, mm. uh, you know, it's what you like to do. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I guess it's speaking the language that yeah. we all kind of feel yeah. and understand and love, and, and managing your property and doing things to enhance it. But so it's what I'm taking away from this is they respond to that.
4: Absolutely. I, the, I, I call uh, a good food plot. Now, you know, every you can only do what you can do with the amount of area you have and so forth. But, I mean, a really good one-acre, two-acre, three-acre food plot providing a lot of food, It I mean, it becomes a, a focal area of your property. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that deer are on it 24-7, but it is going to be a place that is within their home range that they are always going to be going to. I mean, it's kind of little magnets of deer activity mm-hmm. on the landscape. The data are very clear about that. So let's push from that and then go into hunt hunter pressure and how these animals respond when uh, somebody's putting pressure on them. What yeah. did y'all learn there? Well, what, the thing that we did not find was that there was not this clear defined when hunting pressure is really really tough. Deer go to X. We, we didn't see that. Deer are always going to go to the bottomland hardwood. Deer are always going to go to the upland. We we really didn't see any you know really reliable change. And so working with our movement ecologists that are helping us analyze these data, the kind of the way it was explained is. There are all these patterns where deer are showing a preference to be when there's no hunting pressure. But when the hunting pressure is on, it means that it's every buck for himself. There's no population level pattern of deer across the board are going to shift and move to this or that. It means that every buck kind of figures out, I know I can go here and be safe, or I can go there and be safe. They're all just not going to a particular cover type Hmm. they just know where the risky places are on the landscape they know where the safe places are on the landscape and it could be some of them may be in hardwood some of them may be in pine some of them may be on a grown-up
2: fence row but they know where these safe spaces are at it would be interesting instead of putting a gps collar on the deer or leave the gps collar on the deer but make people carry their phones with the location on or track the hunters over the course of a season.
0: Y'all may have done this. They'd run out of batteries on me. But just to see how the
2: deer <laughs> respond to where people go. So two two things. Uh,
4: Steve did that with colleagues uh, in Oklahoma well over a decade ago, and, uh, and they found a lot of good things like that. It was a different than this study because they had – distinct areas treatment areas this was a control with no hunting this was a very low hunting this was a high hunting and what they found out with that in that high hunting you got about 3 days you got about 3 days of where seeing hearing smelling hunters humans they start changing that behavior mm-hmm. and the biggest behavioral change wasn't total distance moved during the day it was the term the tortuosity They still had to move to acquire food, but they would do it in a very confined, zigzagging space versus exposing themselves with big, linear movements. So that's kind of point one. Point two would be figure 23. We're kind of also doing that, Dudley, where we ran the, the habitat analysis on the hunters.
2: Okay.
4: And so where were hunters selecting to hunt is exactly as you would predict. Yeah. They hunt on food plots.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Thank goodness.
4: Now, that's good. I mean, so we just talked about how reliable it is that deer are coming to food plots. But I guess what I'm thinking and saying here, can we hunt? Can we be a little more smart how we hunt the food plots so the deer aren't making that a risky area for them sure. or only showing up at night. sure. Mm-hmm. You've Th- got that's all. To, you've got to play that. 100%. Yeah. You've got to be able to get in and get out,
1: not be seen, yep. not be smelled. Got to. Yeah. And just because you want to go hunt that food plot, I mean, you go to bed on Friday night, you now you can look at the Lanny's got a $20 app. I got, I got a, twi- a, I got, $20 I, got a, app. I got a free app and it tells me what the wind is probably going to be doing in the morning. And then when I get to where I'm going, I'll check the wind and it oftentimes it's not yeah. that app line. So, to me. But, but, but my point is you can lay there in bed and say, I'm going to go hunt the big bottom field t- tomorrow, but tomorrow the wind may be wrong for the big bottom field and, and you're better off to not go there. You're better off to maybe not even go hunting. Go do something and save it for when the wind is right.
4: My my advice. I, I, I completely agree. And I, I'm just thinking of how every deer season, you've all experienced it. Where you're like, Dad, gummit, we need to stand for an east wind. Yeah, yes. It's so rare to have an east wind, but it, it's it will happen. happen every year. Yeah. yeah. Happened last weekend. Yeah.
1: Sure did. Sure did. Well, this is pretty uh, – did any deer, did any mature, mature bucks just go nocturnal? We,
4: we could have a particular buck for a particular day. They may have not start moving until right at sunset. But, Bobby, 99.9% of the time, they are on their feet before sundown. And still on their feet at sunrise interesting so we just never saw you know even at like at an individual level buck whatever twenty seven we never ever saw that once hunting season began or even like when gun season began he was never up an atom during daylight we never saw that how long are they laying in a bed um some of them would we are quantifying that literally right now, Bobby. In a couple months, I'm going to be able to give you an exact number with a confidence interval around it. So I'm just going to give you some anecdotes of me looking at. There were some instances of a a particular buck I remember, uh, let's say an hour after sun up. So first light, you might have seen that buck, and then he went and found his bed. He laid there the entire day until 30 minutes before or you know around sunset 30 minutes before sunset and he got up on his feet but then we have some bucks that they're not staying there but a couple hours now they're not getting up for a bona fide movement bout halfway across the property but they'll get up and forage a little bit and then bed back down so a lot of variation there
0: Hmm. Hmm.
1: so is from your days of uh, with the the pins over at Mississippi State. When is there a or is a deer kind of like us? He's going to lay down, and he's maybe he's going to he's going to chew his cud. He's going to lay there, and then but eventually he's going to lay his head completely down and close his eyes. And is he going to try to get eight hours of sleep, or is he just getting a <laughs> few a few hours? I mean, wh- I just have a hard time picturing one laying there with his eyes closed.
4: Yeah. But is, um, is that what happens? Though? Well, it, it's, it, that's not the norm. That's not the norm. They will put their head down sometimes, and sometimes it'll be you know kind of curled up, and they will close their eyes. But it's not like us going into deep REM sleep. I mean, they can be awoken you know, within a second. I, I think it's like uh, how us humans, we say, I'm just going to rest my eyes for a few
2: minutes. They're still listening for trouble,
0: that, yeah, and smelling. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I, I was, I wanted to ask the same question, so I'm glad you asked that. But then I'll be like, maybe everybody already knows that. <laughs> well, I, I've never seen a deer sleep. I've never seen a deer sleep either. I've definitely seen them bedded with their head down, you know, looking at me. Uh, but I've never. Like I knew said, it. When I lived in Montgomery, there was a guy
1: that – he, it was in Macon County, Alabama. He said he climbed up in his stand, and when he got you know situated, he was kind of looking around. And he's like, oh, my gosh. And he could see a big buck about 60 yards away curled up like a dog, and his rack was mm-hmm. laying on its side. And he, I mean, he could have easily killed it, but he thought it was dead. I mean he went through all these is it asleep is it it never moved and and he just kept sitting there watching this deer and he said it, all of a sudden it just kind of picked its head up and it 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 was just there and and then it stood up and he just ended up missing the deer that he had <laughs> watched there, it for Been there too long <laughs> yeah and yeah. thinking yeah. about it but, too long. but that's the only time I can remember somebody actually seeing one asleep yeah
4: yeah and it's Probably a a difficult sight to see just because usually when they're bedding down, they're in some kind of cover. It's going to be difficult to see from the stand. Yeah,
0: Y'all were just on a hunt with Mac, Wasn't that deer bedded down for hours and y'all watched him?
4: Yeah.
3: Yeah, he bedded down. uh, So it was roughly about noon when he was with the doe and he bedded down. And then we put a stalk on him and, you know, he would lay down all total about three hours. And before he got up,
0: yeah, and did you ever see him put his head down he we I know could y'all see keep tracking him with his horns
3: we could see it that's the thing we we could see his uh antlers there every now and then pop up a little bit like he was getting up scratching himself it was that was a cleaning himself or something like that we could see his his antlers there move, you know move around there in, in the tall grass,
0: so he's like sounds like he was over a cat napping.
3: yeah,
4: a little bit. So it probably began with ruminating after mm-hmm. his feeding bout. He ruminated, chewed his cud, did that half hour, hour, whatever, and then maybe he just decided to, you know, shut his eyes for a little, just
1: a, little bit. a
0: second. Mm-hmm.
1: Hmm. You know, being a biologist and getting to study these things, what what a neat animal to study. You you picked in my mind just the pinnacle of
0: <laughs> of wild animals in North America. They are so enchanting. That's for sure.
4: I agree. And then to be able to chase them and hunt them—that's what—that's what makes it so fun. Yeah. Is it's not just asking biology questions; it's uh, it's how it relates to management, how it relates to hunting. Yeah, hopefully, coming up with educational material that helps explain what people are seeing—that's that, a lot of fun and really
1: that's gratifying.
0: Cool. No doubt
4: about yeah. it. I think you're one of the smartest guys I've ever met when it comes to
1: talking to you about whitetails, and, and it, it's—I I think a guy listening to this. I don't wanna to, anybody to be confused, but I think you can really learn that there's things that between your words that that, that a guy can well, glean I mean, out.
2: Yeah, you can hey, learn you yeah. from like especially hunting highly pressured deer. I mean, oh, yeah. we, we know that they're still gonna get up and move. they they may not move far, but they're gonna zigzag around and eat, you know, even if they're it, it, hunted heavily on public ground and all yeah. that they're still going to get up and move around. They just may not move a long distance. You know they've got to eat mm-hmm. every day. Yeah, and when you say
1: like a, yeah, you I know you don't have much experience with two hundred twenty pound animals like. No. <laughs> but, that, but that that deer or the deer that you killed, what do you weigh? One hundred fifty, you said
4: something. One hundred
1: eighty. how much dry matter would that deer eat in a day? Seven or eight pounds? Just give me a, just a rough. Okay. I mean
4: it. Yeah, I'd say more like five, six, five, six, seven. That's Dry, removing the the water weight. Yeah, yeah that's that's a lot that's of a lot. Yeah. And
1: you think about that every day that's coming off the landscape. Multiply that times however many deer you you've ought got to there. look
4: at the. Uh, Chris, we did this years ago. My gosh, a long time. But um, we actually went and we went to to Walmart and went like in their little floral section or whatever. And got a whole bunch of fake vegetation. I'm not coming up with the right word, but you know the little the the plastic flowers. Oh yeah. You huh? put yeah. them on people's graves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lanny, you know <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking but we, about. But we got the uh the same amount of that of, of what it would be if you removed the water to come up with this two to three percent dry matter intake every day a deer has. Okay? So the volume equivalent rather than us going out in the, uh, in, in the woods with clippers and clipping it up, we just went and did that. So it would be something we could have at workshops and demonstrate. Mm -hmm. And so Steve has a a tub set up for a hundred pound dough and a tub set up for a 200 pound buck. And it's difficult to comprehend, the amount of vegetation that, I mean, you can't, you can barely hold it with both arms. Hmm. That's how much food they are eating every single day. And then you start thinking about every single day and how many deer, give or take, you have on your property. You need to manage your habitat and you need
2: to grow a lot of groceries Mm -hmm. for them to be in good condition. Yeah, that's that's. I was looking at these graphs, and that's why I get so sad when I see a poorly managed pine plantation. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. A timber type, you know, managed for timber only. Uh, there's really no food there. Nothing I mean, a, a lot of hardwoods are the same at right. certain times of the year. And yeah. Right. I mean, think about how quickly they can uh, eat a food plot to the ground. <laughs> so you don't have a lot of good food in the woods. That's right. So, Bronson, this, in the last few weeks, and, and
1: I've had a number of people ask me to ask you this. There are people at processors or people at the skinny rack are saying, oh, look yeah. at all the fat on this deer. The deer are telling me that or the deer know it's going to be a really rough winter by all the fat that they have. And
2: I don't want to... And compare it to the drought. You know, we've had a hundred-year drought in this area. Yeah, but... <laughs> I just I mean is that factual
1: or is it because that there's a really good acorn crop right there in that area maybe those deer are put on some fa- and then i see people make a comment like well so now deer are looking into the they're able to look into the future mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I mean that they're but what what's going on? Have what, you
2: seen any of that people making that comment recently that you know despite the insane drought we had Folks are saying that a lot of the deer have way more fat than normal at, yeah. at the skin and rack this, this year.
0: Um,
4: that is, I would say, that is a deer being opportunistic. When they have an opportunity available to them, in this case, mast or, or acorns, they're going to take advantage of it. And the interesting thing about acorns and fat is that, remember, an acorn is not providing a lot of protein. It is carbohydrates. And so that is something easy to convert into fat. And so I've also been on properties where the mast crop was terrible or non-existent, but they had a really, really, really good warm season food plot program and managing habitat. And they had an inch of fat on their rear end. So, I mean, it's just them responding to the best food that is available. And that is just a built-in survival mechanism. You take advantage of the best food that you have because there will be a time come February where there's not a lot of food and they're going to be
0: burning that fat. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, I skinned five this morning and one out of five was had an inch of fat on it. It all comes from the same place. Yeah, we just saw a lot of folks making that,
2: uh, yeah, and it got some people that that don't know a lot about
1: deer asking questions, or, well, so they can they know that it's going to yeah. be bad. They know it's
2: going to be a cold. Wind. No, I, no, I think it's just like you said, just luck of the draw. People are yeah.
1: So it seemed like I'm also lately, and this is probably Lindsey Thomas, our friend Lindsey. Thomas, mm-hmm. probably has a lot to do with it, but I'm seeing a lot of people looking at kidney fat mm-hmm. and basing the health of their animal on that. That's I found that very interesting. As well, because that's relatively new to uh, to me as a consumer. It may yeah. not be new to you as a biologist, but yeah, um am I? Is that
4: kind of newish? A new, a new thing y'all are it, teaching people to do? Yeah, and and that's something uh I worked with Craig Harper about a year or two ago now, and we developed an extension publication on harvest data analysis and management and all that. So we went into to great detail about the kidney fact fat index measurement. But essentially this is what's great about it. Is I recommend for you know people that are serious about it is I want the body weight of the deer. Of course, I want the body weight of the deer. I want some measure of the condition of the deer. Condition means fat. So now you can do that two ways. Give me either a poor medium good. Good meaning holy moly, look at all this fat. I can grab a handful of fat but that's just a relatively crude measurement. The best measurement is what biologists have been using for decades, and that is the kidney fat index. And the index is simply the ratio of the weight of the kidney and the fat that's around it. So you literally grab your gut in the deer, you grab that kidney and all the fat that's encapsulating the kidney, you pull that out, you pull the fat off of it, And you weigh that fat, and then you weigh the kidney. If they are about the same, then that is really, really good. And usually there's a strong correlation. If they have very little body fat, they're going to have very little kidney fat as well. Hmm. So the beauty of it is, for me, as a number cruncher, when I'm keeping up with data, I have a number with kidney fat index versus they had a little fat on them. They had a lot of fat on them. It's just hard to quantify that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That is interesting.
0: You
2: start looking at the kidneys. I'm going to
0: have to start looking at the kidneys. I think
2: this is the coolest deer podcast we've done yet. Could be. I think so. Yeah. I. You, you know. Um.
1: This data is pretty amazing, and I. I. I will. Uh. I'm interested to learn things that to help science take away this old folklore ways of thinking and yeah. and it, and it, and learn what's really going on. And yeah, that I mean, that that's fascinating to me. Make you a better hunter and a manager. Follow the science. Yeah. Well, you know, we preach being a gamekeeper, and when I read through this, and when you, and you talk about that, you, you know, quantitatively, you guys prove that they want to be in these better
0: habitats. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a real important takeaway right there. It's hugely interesting. Uh, one of the most interesting thing is you brought it up. Um, our cameras, you know, we say, oh, they're not moving. Is he daylighting? Is he daylighting? He's daylighting somewhere. <laughs> That's right. You know what I mean? That's what this study says. Yeah. I mean, you you're just not looking for him yeah, in the right spot. Yeah. He may spot. not be in
2: front of your feeder that yeah. you've got your camera on. Yeah.
0: But he is up and at him somewhere. It's really interesting.
1: Yeah. Dude. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, and then those deer that we didn't even know anything about showing up. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then your deer, where'd he go? He's, mm-hmm. he's gone.
4: Yeah. It's, uh, they are they really interesting. That's what's the best thing about it. You never learn it all. That's for sure. One thing too, one other little nugget I've been thinking a lot about too is, you know, in a lot of managed properties, number one, this is very fun to do. Uh, Number two, management wise, it's really important. We're all running cameras and we're all coming up with our, our inventory. You know, these are for sure the bucks we don't Mm -hmm. want harvested. These are the ones we can, et cetera. And then you may have a guest, you know, you, you know, Please don't shoot this one. Please shoot this one. But because of these excursions, you also still have to be prepared to age bucks on the hoof. 100%. Because you might just get one shot at it. You may never see, the buck may never be on your property again, except for today. So still empower yourself with that buck is old enough. And relative to the antler size, you know, I want to shoot or not. Because there will be instances where even though if you ran a camera every five acres on your property, there will be instances where you do not get a photo. Mm-hmm. He's doing an excursion, you got him for one day, and he's gone. Well,
1: Lanny just ground checks
4: him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah. you're absolutely right. The more a guy learns, mm-hmm. the the better off he is. No doubt about and, it. And, and, and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So look, we've been going a while. We've got a We've got a trivia question we want to uh, ask you real quick, and, and I think this is a good one. Uh, Dr. Michael Chamberlain put this question together.
2: Oh, and oh, uh, Just, you're, you're bro, Michael Chamberlain. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Let's see what, a bro, what kind of bro right. he is.
4: Just be prepared, Mike. I'm going to see how you treat me, <laughs> and I'll return the favor. All right, so I'm going to turn it over to Richie now.
0: Ooh.
3: Today's trivia is brought to us by Sheffield Financial, because your finances are not trivial.
1: Here we go. Sheffield. Well, I, th- your- I
3: think Bobby wants me to uh, work on that. I, I- do
1: want you <laughs> to work on that. I yeah. think we can improve <laughs> that. Right, Sheffield sorry. is a much better company than that intro. <laughs> oh, that actually is. I love it. Do yeah.
2: you even know what that is? Do you
0: know what I, that is? It
1: sounds like a, maybe you're dropping a quarter
0: into. You the, don't know what song that a is?
1: Slot Machine. Is that what no, you think?
0: Is that a song? That is a song. Start of a song. Well, uh, yeah. it's not the exact song. Oh, but, my bad. But uh, BMI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scratch that. No, it, was,
3: <laughs> it was a remix that I did.
0: <laughs>
3: is that what it was? You made so, it your own. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, okay. we're playing here for CK Squared Farms.
0: Mm. Okay, let, let me think about this now. All right. CK, CK Squared. Square. Could that be Calvin? Calvin. Klein? Klein. Could that be? Maybe it is. Speaking of i don't know i'm <laughs> just saying ck he might know a ck you,
2: you
3: think calvin's in the hunting
0: i don't know but if he does have a, it's a, a game place i would love to go visit it yeah.
3: could be i will, well sorry brian their remark here they're they uh i love the information and value you all passed on through this platform if you're looking for a podcast stuff full of hunting and conservation information look no further
1: how about hey. that, yeah. All right. Thank you, CK. Yeah, All right. What's that? the prize?
3: The prize is two dog-proof Duke traps. Hey, did you uh, did you find yours the other day, Bobby?
1: No, I'm. I'm Where, what happened to you? Somebody around here has stolen. I gave you a tip. Them. I know, but I, and I hadn't located them yet. <laughs> so I got to do that because I, I have uh, I've, I got to be ready when the time comes. That's right. It's coming too. All right. Again, this question's
3: from uh, our friend Dr. Mike Chamberlain. Although Leopold is often considered the nation's first wildlife biologist, and he's the one that got the wildlife management movement started, but many people that have heard of him do not know that he was actually a professor, the nation's first professor of wildlife management. What year did Leopold become the first professor of wildlife management?
2: Man, that's tough. That's a tough one. Yeah. It's so not it turns, like, where did he? Yeah. Not even so like much, the what book you, or what something. Year? What year? Yeah, I what thought year? he was going to
4: say, what university? Like, <laughs> yeah, all right, I
0: got yeah, that one. Yeah, that year is Dad What university terrible. would it be? <laughs> university of
4: Wisconsin. Okay. Boom.
3: Yeah. yeah. That's a bonus, I guess. So what year? Uh, He's
4: probably giggling over there. I can't. Yeah, I'm
3: sure he is. is. <laughs> I, I can throw you a hint here. Four years before the Pittman-Robertson Act was signed. Mm.
4: Uh, so that would be 33?
2: Oh, my goodness. He killed it. Way to go. So Pittman-Robertson was 37. 1937. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. How about that? You got it, Bronson. No more Pittman-Robertson. <laughs> <laughs> hey, last thing
1: before you leave. Uh, you've just always been so good to us. and He this- was our first podcast guest. He is. He, he really was. So what? This, this is uh, pass this
0: down, Dudley. This, this is a,
1: oh, <sighs> a bottomland hoodie. Ooh, this nice. thing is the
0: most comfortable. And uh, you through. know, my, here, I'll let you unveil it. All right
2: for the camera. It. What
0: are we doing? Oh, has it got something on? Well, it on? does.
2: It does. It's, Look at there.
0: There you,
4: there you go. That is awesome.
1: So it's a Mississippi State bottomland hoodie, and uh, we we just appreciate you coming over Thank here you. whenever we call and.
0: Got the and, old uh, school. And we wagon. call often.
4: <laughs> I will be wearing that over Christmas break. There yeah, you go. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. This has been fun. I think this is. I'm like Dudley. This has been very informative. Love it. I mean, this is what we set out to do. I mean, it really is to, to help. Don't forget you know, the, the, yeah. the
4: stocking stuffer opportunity here. With this oh, publication.
0: That's I'm a serious. Good idea. Yeah.
2: Not too late. This <laughs> belongs in a binder in your collection of. Books that have anything to do with wildlife and the outdoors. That's I mean, good it's good stuff. Uh... Yep. yep. So,
1: Doctor Bronson Strickland, we appreciate you coming. We yes, want to sir. have you back. I've got we, you've got some things going on in in your future, and we want mm-hmm. to talk to you about that. But, yeah. But uh, but right now, we want to make you know, this will come out after Christmas. So, guys, y'all have a good New Year's. Y'all be safe. Don't do anything crazy. I'm looking at Lanny when I say that. Don't don't stay <laughs> out. It's gonna all be a night, full um. moon. It, it, you know what? It could
0: be.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we've learned that shouldn't affect. Uh, it affects of. people like Lanny. It's yeah, not like just the general a population. Yeah, that's but, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, it's been good good thanks everybody for being here and, and we're looking forward to, to 2024 being uh, guys crazy we're here you know, 2024 yeah, yeah sure is so. hmm. why don't you say goodbye Dudley
2: goodbye Dudley get us out of here Richie.
1: thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the gamekeeper podcast
2: and be sure to tune in again Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine and don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuzz Strickland.